and we welcome you into episode 13 of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. And Gribbs, uh, coming up, we've got a big interview today from a national standpoint, a guy that's going to be doing a little bit more work for us in draft analyst Dane Brugler. Uh, done some scouting work around the NFL and has maybe the best draft guide, period, out there. If you want to know everybody from A to Z, uh, first round all the way to the last player, Mr. Irrelevant, Brugler knows everything about him. He will join us today on the podcast with Nathan Zagura. Yeah, the big issue with staying at home is you got to print that thing on your own paper. That's the that's the one one issue with that. I, you got to use the PDF, uh, but you, it, it is meaty, and he has every prospect covered. We've only had one prospect, I think, not covered that the Browns have drafted in like the last five or so years, and I believe that was Seth DeValve. I can't – I totally forgot that we have to print that. <laughs> that is that is a significant development in my life here. <laughs> I do not have a printer capable of doing that. I might yeah. have to. You need one of those office powerhouses to get that thing out. I mean, it's it's you do. He he puts in the work, and it's well worth it. And it it really is a lifesaver. Not only preparing for the draft, but during and after the draft is when it really comes in handy. Because when you got to go on the radio and talk about a seventh round pick, Dane's going to be your guy. Yeah, no, no question about it. He will join us today on the best podcast available. He will join us in a couple weeks. He will join us after the draft to recap things. So we're bringing Dane in-house here for, for, for the month, basically. He will be on uh, various platforms, including Cleveland Browns Daily, and we're excited to have him and his expertise. Nathan uh, goes one-on-one with him, and some really, really interesting things that come out of that conversation. First and foremost, though, Gribbs, we do have some news uh, as it pertains to the Cleveland Browns, and it involves the Browns picking up a defensive end in Adrian Claiborne. The, uh, the defensive end entering his 10th season comes to us from the Atlanta Falcons on a reported two-year deal. Uh, we needed some help on the defense. We talked about it, especially at defensive end, and you get a veteran here in Claiborne. Yeah, I, the, the comparison I've made when talking about this to some people is he's kind of like the ideal scenario, like your 2018 version of a Chris Smith, Denard Avery. And I think that that's, the, that that's what you're hoping for out of him, and that's where he's really thrived. And this fills a, a big need. Uh, for the Browns, but I, I don't think it all, it really precludes the Browns from doing anything in the draft pass rush related. I still think they need to to hammer away at that position, and and ideally, uh, 2019 is not a good year to compare because the de- the depth just got destroyed uh, at the midway point of the season. But a player like Claiborne, not only from an on field perspective, but off the field, he becomes one of your oldest players on a roster that's one of the youngest in the NFL. Uh, it, it was a good smart signing. Uh, that I think can really pay some dividends for the Browns. It's just an interesting career out of the guy. I mean, he had first-round pick, uh, was an immediate starter right away, compiled a bunch of sacks his rookie year, and then he had season-ending injuries two of the next three years. And I I think that really kind of held him back. But now he's really found a niche uh, in the NFL, and he's still going pretty strong. Yeah, and and he brings that veteran clubhouse leadership, which I think that this defense really kind of needs, is a veteran to kind of stabilize that side of the football team. Yeah, and it's it's just an area that probably didn't get enough attention uh, as we talked in, in February and March because you have Miles Garrett and you feel good about Miles Garrett, and more so you had glaring holes at linebacker and safety, and I, I think that the, those the need a pass rusher got overshadowed by that, and 
this this helps. It, and but I just don't. Again, I'll go back. I don't think the Browns are done, and I, I think that they they need to to keep hammering away at this positioning and give yourself some options uh, out of that pass rushing position. And hopefully, in the draft, you stumble upon someone like a Jannard Avery that made that kind of impact uh, right away as a fifth round pick. I think there's players out there that you can find uh, that can help you get depth at that position behind one of the, the NFL's best, in Miles Garrett. All right, so if you take a look at the needs on this football team going into the draft, I I think we can all agree, uh, everybody we've had on, you and me talk about it weekly, the offensive tackle is the number one position of need. Is defensive end still the number two? I would still I would put linebacker because I think that you you brought in a solid player in in BJ Goodson you you feel good about Mac Wilson uh, you're projecting Sione Takitaki to take a leap uh, in in his second year in the NFL but I, I still think I need more out of that position on the field and that's another one that I would see the Browns addressing on day two with either their second round pick or, or one of their two third round picks I just think you need more options and and proven not proven, but but players who can you can maybe safely project this guy could be a starter in the NFL. I think you're 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 treading really dangerously right now with with the current group. Uh, I think that you have some potential in that group, but I, I just think you need to shore it up with more talent uh, and maybe more experience if you can find any other free agents out there. Well, I think the other thing when you take a look at what Andrew Barry and his staff have done, we've talked about the one-year deals. This is only a two-year deal. It's a low cap hit, uh, reportedly, and it's not costing the team a lot to bring in some quality guys that are, you know, on a, on a make-it-or-break-it contract, essentially. Yeah, and I think that Claiborne is the type of player, when you're entering your 10th season, these are the kind of deals he was going to get, no matter what the Browns were, were doing with all the other one-year deals they've got. But uh, I think it's a good strategy, and to me it's almost like – Andrew Barry's obviously a smart young GM. It's like he's maybe found this kind of, I wouldn't say loophole, but just found a sweet spot with a lot of these guys that he can bring in on these kind of prove-it contracts. And I think that it really it's working both sides. I think the players know they're, they're going to they're gonna bank on themselves and hoping for a much bigger payday after one season with the Browns. And maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. But I think it's benefiting both sides uh, and I think you're really just adding a lot of players that you could maybe count on for this season, but maybe don't have to invest in long-term beyond 2020. Yeah. Well, and, and frankly, we're, we're in a win-now situation. You want to win when you're on that rookie co- quarterback contract. Yeah. And then you've got – and still, cap-wise, the Browns have a lot of room to work. I mean, there's uh, they're, they're still in, in kind of like that top 10 range of, of cap space available. So – uh, a lot of flexibility, and I still there are still all most of the big names are gone outside of Jadavian Clowney, but uh, there's there's still some players that you can add to this roster to to feel even better about it going into training camp. All right, that's what's happening as it pertains to the Cleveland Browns, as it pertains to the National Football League. NFL playoff expansion is officially a go, and it will be a go here in 2020 if we play football games in 2020, your thoughts on the playoff expansion Gribbs? Well, I, it makes me just look forward to wildcard weekend. And I, I think that that's great now that you have three games a piece on each day. And uh, it, it was just, a, it was just a matter of time. I, I think the percentages still work out where you're in a pretty safe range compared to the other sports where the percentage of your teams that make the playoffs, it, it's right around the same range. So you're not being ridiculous by getting too many teams uh, into the playoffs. And really the biggest change with this to me is not the seventh team. 
it's the importance of the first of the number one seed in each conference because a lot of number two seeds have had had a nice cushy weekend the first weekend then they play then they only have to play two games there hasn't been as much of an advantage given to the number one seed as compared to the number two seed outside of that home game you get uh in the in the championship game I, I just think that that is a huge I think it not only affects the postseason but it affects the regular season I, I think that it's hard it'll be hard for a number one seed to truly lock it that thing up by week 16 or even week 15 so you're not going to have the amount of teams resting players in week 17. I think that most teams are going to have something to play for, whether it be seeding, whether it being a chance at a, at a home game. I, I just think that really you're changing the postseason, but I think you're protecting that end of the regular season. Maybe now you can uh, have fantasy football seasons go 17 weeks because that was the one reason you didn't have them go that long. Now it's going to be really hard to just trot out a, a, a a team of, of backups uh, in these games. Like we, we saw a lot of that this year. And I don't know if that was the driving force uh, in this decision, but uh, week 17 has just been really weird the last few years. And I, I, I don't blame those teams for, for resting guys, but now they're going to have incentive to play. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point playing for seeding in addition to getting, you know, that, that week one by a lot of teams playing for a lot in the national football league time now for our interview of the day. And in the best podcast available, episode 13, Dane Brugler, one of the top draft gurus in the business, had a chance to sit down with our own Nathan Zagura. The guys uh, with a deep dive into the tackle position, also the safety position as it pertains to round two and who may or may not be there. Have a listen. Joined now by a man who needs no introduction, but he will get one anyway, the draft analyst, expert guru for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. He is one of our favorites and has been for a long, long time. Dane Brugler joining us now. Dane, how are you doing, man? Doing well. Hopefully uh, everything's going well with you too, Nathan. Yes, it is obviously a crazy time. We all know that you usually, though, at this time of year, have, have locked yourself in a room to produce what I call the draft Bible, uh, the most comprehensive draft guide on the planet. And I heard a rumor that this might be coming as soon as next Monday. That's the plan. Uh, the wow. editors, I gave all the files to the editors. They've got it in their hands. We've got three editors dedicated to this right now. Uh, pouring through it and uh, yeah it's I try to make it bigger and better every year and I the easiest sell I can make for it is if you like the draft at all zero chance you'll be disappointed by this the amount of detail and everything I pour into it uh, over 400 profiles um, so really excited for this year's guide and yeah, hopefully Monday if you have your athletic subscription you get it free so uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's the way to get it. Have an athletic subscription. You can get it from Dane. Uh, and it is, you don't need to sell it. I'll sell it for you. It is the absolute number one draft resource on this planet. You want to know something about every player who's picked in the seven rounds, every undrafted free agent who signed after that, and then people who weren't either signed or undrafted free agents. It's all in here in Dane's guide, their backstory, what they did each year in college, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, the summary, what they project to in the NFL. It's all in there, and it has been the thing that has allowed me to sound at times educated when I just parrot what Dane says uh, in that draft guide. So if you haven't done so already, sign up for The Athletic, and I'll tell you what, just getting the draft guide makes your subscription worth it, let alone all the great content you'll get there. So let's jump into it. 
obviously for the Browns. I, I don't know that I've seen a mock draft, honestly, that doesn't have the Browns taking a tackle at 10 this year. Uh, is this one of the worst kept secrets in the football business this year that the Browns are looking to get that left tackle of the future to pair with Jack Conklin, whom they added in free agency? Well, it's almost too perfect the way it lines up. And we've been saying this, uh, you know, since the fall, how strong this tackle class is going to be at the top. Now it thins out in the second round, third round, fourth round. So if you don't get your tackle early, you might be in a little bit of trouble. And so we're going to see six, maybe seven tackles go in the first round. And it'll be interesting to see the order they come off the board and where they come off the board. How many go in the top 10? Who's available for the Browns uh, with that 10th pick and the Giants picking at four, the Chargers at six, uh, the Cardinals at eight. Uh, so there's some landmines in there you know, that we have to get through to see who's going to be available. But uh, you got to love the talent's going to be available. I, to me, Jedrick Wills, I, he's my favorite tackle in this class. Um, I, I think he's, he's just a bulldozer in the run game. And I think his athletic profile uh, really stands up there. He's going to be a, a plus uh, pass protector in this league as well. Uh, you can't argue with Tristan Wirfs with what he did uh, at the combine matches what we thought going in just a really good athlete. I thought the most important number for him was that 34 the arm length. Uh, a lot of people were worried about what did he have the length to play outside we have to kick inside the guard. This guy's a tackle all day every day. Um, and I'm really excited what he could do in an offense like the Browns with a lot of movement, uh, with, uh, some of that outside zones, different things that they do. So uh, I think this tackle class really matches up well with not only Cleveland's needs, uh, but also just in terms of finding the best talent available. Yeah, I think when you're a GM in your first draft and you're the youngest GM in NFL history, as Andrew Barry is, it's kind of nice to come and do your first foray at this and know that there's a good chance the best player available is going to be at your biggest position of need at number 10 with left tackle. You mentioned Wills. He played right tackle in college, protecting the blind side for Tua at Alabama. Any concern at all about him being a left tackle in the NFL, or is he, is he a right tackle in your mind? It's certainly a projection because we've never seen him do it. Even in high school, he was a right tackle. He's never played left tackle before. So uh, that is something that, you know, that, and that's an area where that's, we're kind of affected by uh, the, the virus and everything going on the last few weeks. Uh, without these private workouts, without these 30 visits, uh, where the players are able to go to the facility, work out with uh, coaches, and, and just learn uh, or you know, get to know each other better, X's and O's wise, personality wise. A guy like Jedrick Wills, uh, you know, they don't have a chance to run him through the ringer uh, of you know, left tackle stance, uh, the uh, you know, initial setup, just different things that's just muscle memory. So now everything about his athletic profile, about the way he moves, the way he acts, tells you that he can move the left tackle, but until you see him do it, it's always going to be a projection. So it might be one of those things where some teams feel stronger about it than others, uh, but I, I think he has all the ability in the world to move the left tackle and be just fine. You mentioned Wirfs, and obviously his athletic profile at the Combine was great. He comes from Iowa, so you know he's going to be getting great coaching there in terms of what it takes. Uh, it, he would be number two for you. And, you know, Joe Thomas and John Greco were on uh, Cleveland Browns Daily, and they love him, but they had some concerns about his bend and whether or not he was a true tackle. What do you see through your eyes when it comes to Tristan Wirfs? Yeah, I think he's a natural athlete. And this is a guy who, his whole life, he's, he's always been doing something athletic. In wrestling, he was the state champion uh, in high school. Uh, and he was a three-time state champion in the discus and the shot put. 
in high school. Uh, he's a big time baseball player. He, he would tell you this favorite thing uh, in sports was always hitting a home run. Nothing else. Nothing else is better than hitting that home run. So this is a guy who's always been doing something, a uh, really athletic guy. I do think that there are concerns. He's not a perfect prospect by any means. Uh, he, he has a bad habit of oversetting. He'll put too much weight on his outside foot, and that'll kind of throw everything off. He'll misfire with his punch. Uh, you know, his hands will start a little bit off, either wide or low. So he, there are rooms, room for improvement with his angles, the way he, his body has set up. So I, I think that, you know, he's far from a, a perfect player by any means. But when you break down the traits, you know, what you can't coach, uh, talking about the athleticism, talking about the body control, uh, just the natural skill, I, I think that he is, he's in that top 10 mix. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the first tackle drafted. Uh, you look at number four with the Giants, uh, Dave Gettleman, uh, he's got a strong Big Ten uh, appreciation. I could see that working out, but I could also see him being available uh, with a 10th pick. And I think that'd be a home run pick for Cleveland if he were. The other two tackles that are talked about to the Browns at number 10, Mekhi Becton, who is, you know, a, a mountain of a man, 6'7". You wonder about his ability just naturally because he is so big in that wide zone scheme that requires a lot of movement. And then Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, who probably had the best tape of, of these four guys and played, you know, the toughest schedule of these four, but is not, for some reason, not getting the same love that perhaps Wills, Becton, and Wirfs are. Becton is just, uh, he's just different. You know, how many people on this planet are six, seven and a half, 365 pounds, and that can move like him? I mean, he's just, he's a rare, very rare type of player. And that shows on the, on the football field. Uh, Bobby Petrino will tell you, but they started recruiting him at Louisville when they went to one of his basketball games and he was doing reverse dunks. Uh, he's just a very different kind of guy. And so uh, the way he's built, the way he moves, uh, just a very light mover for a guy that size. Uh, it's just really impressive. The ease of movement. Um, there's just a lot that he can do on the football field. Uh, he's a people mover on the run game. Uh, he can reach block with ease. So I, I do think there's a lot of potential there in this system specifically. Uh, and then with Andrew Thomas, um, I, I do think that there's a lot to like there. Uh, you talk about the length. Uh, he's got 36-inch arms. Uh, he is a good athlete. My biggest concern with Andrew Thomas, uh, the balance concerns. Uh, there are times where you see him a little bit off balance. He's on the ground a little more than you want to see for a guy you're potentially taking in the top 10 picks. So, you know, I still think he's an NFL starter. I think he's a very good player. But if I'm going to have to stack up these four guys, Andrew Thomas is just a little bit behind the other three for me. But they're all very closely rated. You talk to people throughout the league. There is not much separating these guys uh, in the minds of NFL evaluators. Would you say that all four of the names you just mentioned will be the top tackle on some team's board when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, and I, I think you can really make a case based on scheme, based off of what each team's looking for. Uh, you know, we mentioned how Jedrick Wills was a right tackle only in college. Meanwhile, you've got a guy like uh, Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton who played both uh, interchangeably and did just fine. So, you know, all these factors go into it. Uh, and so, yeah, it would not shock me at all uh, if one of these guys is the first uh, tackle drafted and one of them is the fourth tackle drafted. I think it's, it's really split throughout the league. All right, let's just go through a hypothetical really quickly and we'll put this tackle discussion to bed. But that the Browns, Isaiah Simmons on the clock and they decide they have to take him at number 10 and then they either move in late in the first round or at the, in the early second round, they're looking at that next group, Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, et cetera. Or if they get an offer, somebody's there at 10 that nobody expected to be and they get an offer they can't refuse to move back down. What, yeah. Tell us about that second kind of group of tackles. I, I will say this, and I'm going a little bit out on the limb saying this, but the least surprising 
draft day trade out of all the teams, in my opinion, would be the Browns moving back for Ezra Cleveland. I think that hits a lot of what this organization could be looking for. You're moving back, you're getting an extra pick, uh, a premium pick, somewhere probably on day two. Uh, you're moving back and you're getting an offensive tackle who uh, tested off the charts, uh, tested really well. He's got really good tape. And in terms of football character, the coaches just, they, they, they won't shut up about him. Uh, this, anybody watching his film, uh, Ezra Cleveland, uh, has to keep in mind, he had um, a uh, turf toe injury in the season opener this past year. He missed one game. He played through it the entire year. They had to pry him off the practice field just to try to keep him fresh. Uh, this is a guy that's a football lifer. Uh, the coaches rave about him. And, oh, yeah, he, he, his testing was outstanding as well. So, to me, I, if, it'll be interesting if one of those tackles is available at 10, but also they get an offer to move back, say, 10 spots. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see which direction they would go. It'd be tough to pass on one of those top four tackles, but also I think it'd be tough to pass on uh, moving back and adding another day two pick while also uh, maybe going back for a tackle that I think that they really like as well. So Ezra Cleveland, I mean, the last name's cool and all, but uh, right. the, the main reason, uh, you know, they, they could just put Ezra on the back. You already got Cleveland on the front. So uh, just do it that way. So I, I would not be surprised at all if that's how it played out. Um, and I, there's some risk there because obviously if you're moving back 10 spots, you don't know who's going to be there. Ezra right. could go 18-19 and you just miss out on him. So I think you have to be comfortable with Austin Jackson from USC, um, who is just very young, very – I don't think he's ready to start right now, uh, but the potential, the upside's off the charts. And, uh, and then Josh Jones, uh, who's a little bit of the opposite. He's a fifth-year senior. Uh, he's had four different or five different offensive line coaches over his time at Houston, which I think really stunted his development. But he's really put it together as a senior. So I think he's uh, on the upswing. His trajectory is telling you he's going to be an NFL starter in this league. So a lot to like about all three of those guys. And, again, that's seven tackles, which it's just crazy to think all are going to go in the first round. But good chance it happens. All right, let's take a, let's say the Browns do come out of the first round with a tackle. We look into the second round. I think some of the biggest needs on this team, although they just signed Adrian Claiborne, so maybe that pushes defensive end down the list a little bit. But still, that could be a spot where you can get a, a good pass rusher at pick 41. Let's start with that edge group there. Uh, one guy that I love personally, you turned Gross Matos out of Penn yeah. State. Is there any chance he's there, or is he, he looking like a first-round talent to you? I think there's probably a better chance he goes in the first round just because he plays the right position. He's a pass rusher, and those guys always go pretty quickly. Uh, he might not go in the top 20, but I think somewhere between 21, 35, he's somewhere in that mix. Um, I, but I, I, I'm with you. He, he's really intriguing with you know, the size, the wingspan, the athleticism. Um, you know, he's, not, he's more of that leggy guy who uh, can bend a little bit. You can move him inside. He can give guards trouble because he can lean into them and uh, create that movement just with his, his length and his, uh, his momentum, that first step get off. Uh, so there's a lot to like with him. Uh, it's, it's interesting with, uh, you have Chase Young obviously at the top, and then I think you have a little bit of a drop off. I think Clavion Chase on is going to be that second pass rusher drafted somewhere in the top 15, 16 picks. Uh, and then you have a little bit of a drop off again, and then Gross Matos, um, AJ Epinesa's in there, mm -hmm. uh, which he's tough to figure out because he's more of the heavy handed uh, savvy rusher. He's not going to, wow you with his athleticism he's not going to uh threaten the corner on a consistent basis but he could be there and that would be an interesting fit uh if they want to go in that direction uh josh uche from michigan another name i think to keep on the radar uh, a lot of teams think he could go in the late first round 
uh, because he's there's a lot of untapped potential there. Uh, his uh, going at Michigan, he his snap count rose every single year, and he, he got better uh, as uh, as time went on. And so I think there's a lot to like there. But he's still a little raw, probably best in a 3-4 where he can stand up and do some different things. Um, after that, we're talking Terrell Lewis, Alabama, mm-hmm. maybe Curtis Weaver from Boise State. So, you know, this pass rush class, there's a lot of differing opinions about uh, after Chase Young, you know, the order and then, you know, how many actually should go in the top 50 picks. I think if you're looking at, again, a need and where it just might fall, it seems that in a lot of these mocks, the early second round is where you can get a darn good safety prospect. And there certainly are a few of them in this class. And I want to throw one name at you early, Grant Delpit, who it seems like had he come out, you know, or was in the draft after the 2018 season would have been a first round pick. And now coming out after this year, didn't have as good of a year, was a little bit banged up. Maybe it could be a steal in the second round, and I liken it to another LSU guy that ended up with the Browns and Greedy Williams, who Greedy Williams, yeah. two years ago probably would have been a first-round pick, and then the Browns end up getting him in the second. But start with Grant Delpit and then some of the safeties you'd have an eye on there early in the second round for the Browns. Yeah, and I've made that same comparison because with Greedy, um, you know, you, you go back to his junior year at LSU, say, you know, mid-season October, we were talking about Greedy Williams as a top 15 guy, uh, and then as the season went on and he – you know, kind of fell off a little bit. It, all of a sudden, okay, well, he might not go in the first round. And then I, I don't know how many people saw him landing uh, in Cleveland in the second round, getting that far. And it's similar with Grant Delpit. Um, coming into the year, top 10 pick, uh, had a just a terrific sophomore season. Uh, but this year, the ball production fell off. The missed tackles went up. Part of it is, there's no question, dealt with an ankle issue the entire year. Part of it is uh, you just you worry about the tackling technique. I think he's willing, but uh, you know he. There are some teams that will not draft him in the first three rounds. I've talked to some teams that just they, they don't want nothing to do with them because he can't tackle. Uh, the, the missed tackles. If you're a missed, if you have uh, if you're a safety and you are missing tackles, you're considered a liability. And so uh, there will be some teams who, in terms of what they're looking for at the position, will not draft Grant Delpit that high, which could end up being a steal for another team who maybe could look past a few of the missed tackles, thinking he can get better in that area, but also banking on the cover awareness, banking on the range, banking on those ball skills. And so with Grant Delpit, uh, it, it could be a repeat of last year with Greedy Williams uh, falling to the mid-second. Could be similar with Grant Delpit. Wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the one guy that I do have my eye on for the Browns in the uh, early second round is Jeremy Chin uh, out of Southern Illinois, who's really interesting. Has that corner background, played free safety, uh, great ball skills. He had at least three picks each of the last four years. Now, coming from the FCS level, obviously a little bit of projection, but uh, this guy is he's long, he's rangy, he's a long-striding athlete. Uh, you love the wingspan. You love the way that he his aggressive uh, mentality against the run, he'll widen his feet, and, and he'll attack on contact to be a, a sure tackler. Uh, there are times where he's caught guessing uh, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, I think that the football instincts are still developing. He's still getting through there. But uh, the range, the length, uh, the closing burst, I think he's got versatility with what you ask him to do. Uh, there's a lot to like about Jeremy Chin. Uh, would not be surprised at all if he ends up going somewhere in the top 40 picks. I, I think the Browns could be on that short list. Absolutely. I think it is a position need. One other name I'll throw out to you at the safety position, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., who seems to be gaining a lot of buzz, and you're seeing him starting to go now in, in the late first in a lot of these mocks. Yeah, he's tough because he's, he, he's so small, and that's you worry about the lack of length. You worry about the size. 
you know, his dad, obviously, was able to overcome it. Uh, he was a pro bowler for a lot of years at uh, corner. Uh, but it's a different NFL. It's a different uh, time uh, in a different era in the NFL. So um, being a safety is a little different than being a corner as well. Um, and it's funny. He had uh, eight pass breakups this year, seven interceptions. So he only got his hand on one football this year that did not end in an interception. I don't know if that's a, it's a bad thing or if that's an impressive thing. Like it's just, it's, it's <laughs> right. kind of strange. You don't see that very often. So he's got a nose for the football. No one would question that. It's just, can he overcome the lack of length? Uh, you know, when he's going up against uh, some of these tight ends in this league, is he going to be able to match up physically? Uh, if the quarterback puts it in a perfect spot, there's a, he can't do anything about it. And so uh, Winfield, I don't think he's going to go in the first round. I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, I do think he has a chance to go in the top 50, uh, just to the right, if it's the right team, the right situation. Uh, but I also, I was talking to someone yesterday, actually, a, a scout who said, you know, where, where do we put him if his last name is Smith and not Winfield? You know, do we still give him that extra bump uh, up the draft board? I don't know. That's, that's a question, obviously, we'll never know. But um, it is something interesting to think about. Back to Jeremy Chin really quickly. Who's your kind of comp for him? Who, who does his game, for those who haven't watched much of his college tape, who does his game in the NFL, who do you think it would resemble? Maybe a little bit of a bigger, like a Malcolm Jenkins, um, because he's just so versatile. You know, Malcolm Jenkins being a corner at Ohio State, comes to the league, and he's a corner, he's a nickel, he's a safety, does a little bit of everything. Um, and I think Jeremy Chin can do that as well. Obviously, he doesn't come from uh, a school known for producing big-time talent uh, like that, coming from uh, Southern Illinois at the FCS level. But it's still, he, he has the range, he has the size. Uh, talking to him, he seems like he has the mentality as well. Um, so I think there's a lot to like about Jeremy Chen. It is not hard to sell a team on a guy like that, especially after what he tested. Being 6'3", 220, those are linebacker numbers. He runs a 4.45, 41-inch vert, 11'6 uh, in the broad jump. So really impressive chin from, from start to finish. He has the, the career resume. The senior bowl was very good. The combine was great. So he's trending in the right direction. Do you think the Senior Bowl, given everything that's happening, is going to give the Lions and the Bengals a, 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 an advantage on some level? Because they're really the only team that's gotten to be around people and have that substantial time with them because you can't have the visits anymore. And, you know, for a yeah. small school guy, especially like Chin, that exposure is going to be big. But some of those smaller school guys aren't going to get any exposure and probably be impacted with this process. Yeah, there's no question uh, because, yeah, you hit on it. Without these 30 visits, uh, that, that's, that's a big piece of the process that's missing. And, you know, I hear for all the time from fans saying, well, you know, we have all the tape. You know, these guys should be able to draft, and, and they can. You know, it's just when you rely on those 30 visits uh, as a way to bring in players to get to know your coaches better, uh, you know, X's and O's wise, get to know him better. Uh, that's just, it's a missing piece to the puzzle that is important. And, you know, it's, I especially feel for uh, the non-combine guys. Every year we have about 35-ish uh, non-combine guys get drafted every year. This year, it'll probably be single digits because without those 30 visits, teams can't bring in the non-combine guys to get to know them better. And it's not just to get to know them better, it's the medicals. Uh, at yeah. the combine, we got all those medicals done. Uh, at the uh, 30 visits, that's when they can get medicals done for some of the, the 30 visits, the guys that weren't at the combine this year, we don't have that. And so that, that's the biggest piece of the pie that, that's missing. And it's really unfortunate to the guys that didn't have a chance to go to the combine. Now, if they were at an all-star game, that'll help, but still uh, it's still an uphill climb for those guys.
Yeah, it's certainly it's a situation none of us have ever dealt with before, and we'll see how it impacts the draft coming up here at the end of the month. I want to go last position, kind of a big need for the Browns. You know, Christian Kirksey gone, Joe Schobert gone. They drafted Mac Wilson, who played a lot last year. They drafted Sione Takitaki in the third. They brought in B.J. Goodson, but you'd have to think that's a position that maybe they want to buttress with a veteran, but potentially in the draft. But you don't hear about a lot of off-ball linebackers in this particular draft class, Dana, and I'm wondering if there are any of note that people should be aware of, you know, on day two or day three. Yeah, I really do like the linebackers um, on day two uh, of this draft. I think that's kind of the sweet spot. We're going to see a few go in the first round with Isaiah Simmons, obviously, and then Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray. Um, Zach Bond might get in that late first, if if not, he's early second. Uh, But I really do like some of the options. Uh, I I think Akeem Davis-Gaither, He's kind of the, the, the poor man's Isaiah Simmons because he's, he's really long. He's a good athlete, a little bit of a, a tweener. What is he? Where are you going to play him? But he's really talented. And so uh, I think he's going to go come off the boards somewhere in that uh, maybe second round, maybe early third round. Uh, Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech, uh, flying a little bit under the radar because he was hurt a little bit. So we didn't get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl, but we did see him at the Combine. He looks back close to his old self. Um, he can fly. He's got great range. Um, so I really like Jordan Brooks. Um, Malik Harrison from Ohio State, one of the best run defenders uh, at the linebacker position in this draft. Uh, and I think he's shown enough athletically where you have uh, you feel good about uh, him growing into a better coverage player. Uh, and then Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Uh, those would be my, my four, four favorite linebackers on day two. Uh, maybe throw Willie Gay in there from Mississippi State, as long as you're okay with the character. Um, I think he's he's a guy with who has yet to play his best football. So five guys right there who I think will go on day two who could be fill that off linebacker role and, and should be on the Browns radar. All right. Talking with Dane Brugler, obviously. And Dane, this has been sensational stuff. A couple final questions here to wrap it up. Number one would be what following free agency has caused the, the biggest change to your mock draft? Where have you seen kind of the biggest shifts based on some of the moves, either whether it be free agent signings or in the case of Arizona, where a lot of people thought they were going to go receiver in round one. Right. They get DeAndre Hopkins and now they're now a threat to take a tackle in round one. Right, and I always thought tackle was the direction they should go uh, to protect their their quarterback and and you know give him more time back there, keep him from just having to scramble as much. Uh, but hey, you know we never know; they could still go receiver, and if they do, that tells you Cliff Kingsbury's in charge over there, uh, <laughs> getting more help for that offense. Uh, but no, I, I think that there's probably a better chance they go uh, somewhere offensive line or defensive line. If Derek Brown's there, I think they'd love to add that nose tackle, a guy that can help stabilize their front, whether it's three-man or four-man, uh, when they go multiple. Uh, I think that's certainly a direction that they could go. Uh, I think when you talk about the free agents, it, it, we always go back to the quarterbacks, right? And so seeing where uh, Phillip Rivers goes, and landing in Indianapolis. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, 13, you thought maybe it could be a trade-up if Indianapolis won one of these quarterbacks. Could they trade back? Could they maybe trade back up into the first round for one of these quarterbacks? And then the same thing with Tampa Bay. Uh, with getting Tom Brady. Um, I think that if you're Tampa, you, you can't really be thinking about two years from now and add, you know, you could maybe add um, a Jordan Love at 14 overall and you have your succession plan in place for quarterback, but it, it, you didn't sign Tom Brady thinking about two years from now. You're, you're, right. you, you signed Tom Brady thinking about this year and next year going for it. And so they're going to add someone at 14 that's going to help them achieve their goals for 2020. Uh, not thinking about 2022. So I think some of these quarterback, uh, the quarterback carousel where some of these guys fell, I think that affects kind of how we're looking. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at all if Tampa 
looks to maybe leapfrog the Jets and the Browns uh, to get in that top 10 for one of these tackles. They need to stabilize the right tackle spot, help their quarterback. Uh, so that's a direction uh, I, I could see them going. Uh, and and it, it all is affected by uh, Tom Brady going there. You still feel pretty good about Burrow, Tua, and Herbert, which it seems like he's a tailor-made for the Chargers. And coming out of the combine, at least I felt like I did last year with Daniel Jones and the Giants, that that was the one rumor where it just seemed like there was too much smoke for it not to end up being true. But you still think three quarterbacks in the top 10 uh, going in this draft? Probably, but I mean, Tua is just, he's a wild card. And, you know, he was a wild card before all this. Uh, but now with no workout, no pro day for him, no medical recheck, it just comes down to each team's appetite for risk. And it's going to be different for the Dolphins, the Chargers, you know, whichever team, uh, you know, you just don't know. And so I would think that all three are going to go somewhere top seven. Um, I, Burrow's going one. Uh, and, you know, if you're the Dolphins, you, you make the offer, you make them say no. They're going to say no in terms of a trade. Um, and then who do the Dolphins prefer at five? Um, I said this at the Combine, and I still believe this. Would not be surprised at all if Herbert or Love is a second quarterback drafted. And it just really comes back to Tua and the medical questions and each team's appetite for risk. It's going to be different from team to team. So then you have the Chargers sitting there, obviously, at six. Uh, do they feel more strongly about one or the other? So uh, that there's going to be plenty of intrigue uh, leading up until draft day. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a great feeling about which quarterback's going first and then five, six, Dolphins, Chargers, uh, which is going to make it a lot of fun on draft day. It certainly is. And Dane, this is a lot of fun here for this kind of analysis that you can read. We know we've got, we're all, we're all socially distancing. We've got time. We've got to read to get his draft guide drops on the athletic this Monday. Follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. So Dane, here it is. The final question of the day. Ideal scenario, your picks, two names, 10 and 41 for the Browns. What would make you, make you the happiest? Tristan Wirfs at one, and then I think Jeremy Chin at two. I think both would be great fits. I think they make sense. Um, not only do, do I like that, I, I think it's very realistic for how Cleveland could be looking to attack this uh, first two rounds of the draft. Oh, that might be a change to my, uh, my next mock at clevelandbrowns.com. <laughs> Love the Indians hat in the background. Love talking with you, Dane. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Anytime. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks to Dean Brugler for his time. Thanks to Nathan Zagura for stepping in for us and, and doing an outstanding job as always. Uh, some really good insight there, Gribbs, especially when it comes to the safeties available in the second round, the offensive tackles, and, and maybe trading out of that number 10 spot to, for, to move back for a guy like Ezra Cleveland. What are the chances that this Browns team – moves out of number 10, but not for one of the top four offensive tackles that are out here in this draft. Well, I, I certainly thought that that's been a possibility. And I think that that possibility increased, honestly, out of after um, the activity of free agency and, and the likelihood now, it seems that more of these offensive tackles are going to be off the board by the time the Browns get at number 10. I mean, I think it, I, I think it's a, a real good possibility if you have one of the top four remaining when the Browns are on the clock. So that means three offensive tackles uh, are off the board. And that fourth remaining guy doesn't make sense for your offense or it doesn't make sense for, for how the team evaluates uh, the position. So if they're not in a position where they have to take that guy at that spot, then I could see them fielding offers and maybe opening it up to, to a team that might be trying to move up for 
even a, maybe a Derek Brown defensive tackle or Javon Kinlaw, some, someone that they think they can only get at that number 10 spot. And then you move back to maybe a safe enough range where you think you could get maybe the guy that you feel is a great fit in the Stefanski offense and, and a great fit for your organization long-term, whether it's a Josh Jones out of Houston, Austin Jackson uh, out of USC, or Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. I mean, I think that that is the move you make, and it's the smart move you make if you are evaluating these tackles in a way where that fourth available guy isn't the guy that makes sense for your team. I think it, I just think it's going to be interesting. It scares me to move back because there are no guarantees that the guy you want or the guys you want are going to be there when you pick again. So why not just go grab the guy you want right at number 10, no matter where they're ranked and who has them ranked where. And that was a, that was a decision and discussion that had to be happening uh, in the draft room in 2018 when the Browns are on the clock at number four uh, with, for Denzel Ward, because I think that they probably believed that they could have maybe moved back a spot or two to, to maybe grab a Denzel Ward, but they, they stuck with that spot in the draft and didn't want to risk it and grab the guy at number four, even though most people didn't expect Denzel Ward to be the number four pick in the draft. So maybe that is, maybe the Browns do go with someone outside that uh, top four because that's just not how they see it. And I think that we've just been so absorbed in these mock drafts that are really a lot of groupthink with a lot of the offensive tackles. And maybe that's reflective around the league and how they evaluate this position, but maybe the Browns or some other teams view these guys in a completely different way. Look at the last year's draft with how high the Raiders took Cleland Farrell, the, the pass rusher that most people had going in like the late first round. They take him early in the draft. I just think there's always a surprise or two. And so we can't, we can't lock ourselves into thinking, Oh, if Andrew Thomas is there and he's the last guy available, the Browns are just going to go ahead and take him. I, I think that that's something that we, we just can't believe is going to happen just because we've seen so many mock drafts with it at that point. Yeah, great point indeed, especially looking back on that 2018 draft when it pertains to Denzel Ward. All right, time for the silly season to continue. Maurice Jones-Drew with a mock draft out this week. NFL mock 2.0 for Drew. Um, I didn't even know where to begin with this. I just threw it out there for discussion. First things first, you never say never, especially when it pertains to the Bengals picking at number one and what they may or may not do. But taking Justin Herbert with the number one overall pick might have blown my mind when it happens. Well, you know, there – Again, first off, I'm going to say – I'm going to go out on a limb and say Maurice Jones-Drew is the best podcast available listener because he has followed my advice. You want to get attention. You want people to, to follow your mock drafts. You want people to book you on their radio shows. You have the anti-Joe Burrow take because no one's been willing to do it. He goes out on a limb and not only has Joe Burrow not going first but going fifth, the only counter-argument I can make – to say why Herbert to the Bengals is not like the craziest possibility is that they coached him at the senior bowl and may, maybe something happened where that, that they saw this guy in the, in the, on the whiteboard and they got all got to know this guy and they, they, they think that this is the guy that they want leading their franchise. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be the argument for it happening. I mean, the other argument would be something goes wrong if, t if they were to start negotiating on a contract. Although, but it, it's a rookie deal, and the rookie deal's basically set. So it comes down to what are you getting guaranteed money-wise? What are you getting signing? Yeah, that, 
That's a pre-2010 thing, I feel like. That was the – Sam Bradford was like the last beneficiary of the stupid money contracts. But, but Burrow has been calling his shot in terms of you better keep A.J. Green, you better keep this guy, you better keep this guy. And I just wonder if at some point the Bengals go, eh, we've done I mean, a lot here. And maybe we don't need to follow your. It would be the. I mean, it would be one of the. You, you don't get stunners anymore in the in the draft. I I feel like the last time I was surprised by the number one pick might have been Mario Williams. Was that surprising? And even that was one of those where it broke before the draft because they were working on contracts. But that was that was the last time I was genuinely stunned by the number one pick because I don't think many people were talking about Mario Williams being the number one pick leading up to that draft no not at all that was the whole reggie bush the contract negotiations went south and they said eh, we're not going to deal with this right so uh he's got Tua going number two and if i'm the redskins i am totally open for business if the bengals take anybody uh except the quarterback out of lsu oh, yeah. and burrow uh they have the chargers moving up to number two to take Tua. i can't imagine what that would cost the Giants make a trade with the Lions for Chase Young. I, I, I don't – why would the Giants move up? They're going to get a star player one way or the other here. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, – especially with the Giants too because I just – they like – Gettleman likes to stick to where he is, doesn't like really moving around all that much. I, w- I would say he'd be happy with them before. I, I would more see the Giants moving back than moving up. Yeah. He's got Joe Burrow going at number five to the Dolphins. And if I were the Dolphins, there'd be partying for days once this uh, I mean, coronavirus. I mean, could the, could the Lions pass him up at number four? I mean, that's, I mean, are they really going to take Derek Brown over Joe Burrow? I mean, that would be uh, – I mean, how, how would you not trade that pick? Or you take him over Matt Stafford and trade Matt Stafford. <laughs> You're taking Derrick Brown, and, and with all due respect, Derrick Brown is a good p- football player. Yeah, he's he's really the top good. defensive tackle. But you're talking about taking him over uh, Isaiah Simmons, Joe Burrow, Okuda, the top offensive lineman in the draft. I mean, that what point, you, you, take, you take Burrow for the asset. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the reason you, you can't pass up that value. No. It's it's I, I didn't I didn't recommend this hot of a Joe Burrow take. I was only advising to not have him go number one if you wanted to make some headlines. I didn't say I didn't say drop him to five. Like this is this is no. taking our advice and, and taking it to another level. How do the Chargers pass on him at number two? If the Chargers were to move up and the Chargers take Tua, who by the way can't test, you don't really know what you're getting with Tua. But you're willing to take a chance over taking him over Burrow? I mean, may, do you think Tua sells more seats than Joe Burrow? I mean, I don't, I don't know if he does. I don't, maybe. Maybe out west? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, Joe Burrow is the national champion. It's the national yeah. championship that feels I, like it was about five years ago. <laughs> the last time, well, yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, Tristan Wirfs goes to us at number 10. Be happy with that. I mean, I think that, that it would make some sense. I mean, he, he's versatile. He could help you out at, in multiple spots. The only issue is the one that was brought up, I think, by Joe Thomas and some others on the, the arm length and if they think he's long-term a guard. And for the Browns, I mean, you might want to be leaning more towards someone who 
projects best at that left tackle position. And Werfs might Werfs probably projects as maybe the best and safest bet as the best offensive lineman. But maybe you might be more in the market for the guy that projects as maybe the best left tackle, which might be either Wills or Thomas at that spot. All right, your Alabama guy, Jalen Hurts to the Patriots at 23. I mean, I watched enough of Jalen Hurts at Alabama to know that I mean, I just I, I know Lincoln Riley, he, he was so much better uh, with Lincoln Riley. And he was so much better in that SEC championship game that he had to come in for Tua. Uh, against Georgia to kind of save Alabama's season. So he he definitely improved. But the quarterback that I saw during when he was the last time he was a starter at Alabama, I mean, I, I just don't see it. I, I think that – I think he'd be a good quarterback to get in your building to work with. I just can't even imagine using a first-round pick. I, I maybe, maybe a second- or third-round pick, groom him behind someone, keep working on his tools because he's a really smart kid uh, with a lot, a ton of upside, but I still think he's only scratching the surface without, with maybe what his finished product is going to be. I'm not one of those people that say he has to switch positions. I think he's a quarterback. I just think he needs a lot of work still. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. That would be a big reach. I don't see Bill Belichick making that kind of big reach at pick number 23. They've got a lot of holes to fill. Uh, quarterback obviously is up there, but I got a lot of other things uh, they could go for at pick number 23. That's going to wrap up this week for the best podcast available. We are three weeks out from the 2020 NFL draft. Thanks to Dane Brugler. Thanks to Nathan Zagura. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get this podcast. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. Uh, we're back with you next Tuesday, breaking down some more positions, top five at each position. Uh, and we'll have a couple more national uh, media pundits as we get ready for the 2020 NFL draft. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, by the way, on the Browns YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Browns to the best podcast available.